Blog Talk Radio. You're listening to Starseed Radio Academy, empowering Starseed to better serve the planet. Welcome to Starseed Radio Academy. It's Tuesday, January 31st, 2017, and I'm your host, Ariel Taylor, with my co-hosts, Lavendar and Anastasia. We have two trips to Arkansas coming up, one in March for Spring Equinox, which is Athena's birthday, and the other in May for Pleiadian Lineup. This starseed gathering is a soul family reunion, and eligibility requires having at least one star marking at galactic degree, which is 25, 26, or 27 degrees of any sign. This is a new four-day event redesigned to bring all starseeds to their next level of activation. If you feel the call of the crystals and a desire to reunite with your starseed family, you can register for either our spring equinox, Athena's birthday gathering, which is March 17 through 20, or the next one, which is just about full, for Pleiadian lineup in May, which is May 19 through the 22nd, and write to crystals, that's plural, crystals at starseedhotline.com for more details. Our guest this evening is New Zealand-born author Tricia Kelly, who has lived in the USA for over 40 years and raised one daughter. With over 40 years of spiritual, metaphysical, and personal experiences, Tricia entwines this information within all her novels in a playful, colorful way that keeps the audience's attention. Her newest book, Her Love Story, Synchronicities, Spirituality, and Mr. Henley is Trisha's memoir of a love affair she had with Mr. Don Henley of the Eagles. The pieces in her life started to fall into place around this man, and he naturally became this huge catalyst in her life, and she followed her hunches and her heart. Her earlier books include The Star Seeds, Beyond Time, Spirit Boy, and Earth Spy, Daphne Goes Blue, which is a children's picture book, and New Energy Parenting. Trisha's Trisha's novels are highly endorsed and are available on Amazon and other online stores. She is currently working on a new screenplay based on her love story, but more from the soul's point of view and journey to reconnect, and often throughout time we create these repetitive patterns with the same souls. You can visit her website, which is trishakelly.net, and Trisha is spelled T-R-I-C-I-A, Kelly, K-E-L-L-Y, dot net. We'd like to thank Fiona, Vanya, and welcome Jada to our staff for hosting the switchboard tonight. And uh, any person that may have a comment or question can call in, and they will take care of you. We have an online Starseed community at starseedhotline.ning.com, a safe place to connect with other Starseeds, thanks to Tammy's dedication and help with our forum. You can download any of our shows on iTunes or right here on Blog Talk Radio. And if you'd like to show your support of our program, we'd appreciate it. And just please click follow on our page here at Blog Talk, and you'll get our weekly show notice so you know what's coming up. The toll-free number for StarseedHotline.com is 888-881-0881. The Stage 1 Starseed confirmations are based on Lavendar's discovery of star markings and your natal astrological chart, and the Stage 2 session is a one-on-one phone session available with Lavendar, Anastasia, or myself. For those who need healing of any kind for yourself or your pets, 
Tammy's powerful remote sessions will help. And if you have a birthday coming up, don't miss out on your 10 hours of power. You can find out when that happens by requesting your solar return timing. Please bear in mind that if you want an interpretation of that chart, you'll need to order it a couple of months ahead of time because we do have a waiting list. So first this evening, I would like to introduce Anastasia with her fascinating starseed news. <laughs> Hello, Good Anastasia. Good Good evening, Lavendar. Good evening, everybody. It's great to be with you. Lots of news tonight. Well, we do have a big hole in the sun's atmosphere. Uh, Spaceweather.com reports that a large canyon-sized, canyon-shaped hole has opened in the sun's atmosphere, and it is spewing a stream of solar wind toward Earth. Polar geomagnetic storms are likely when the fast-moving stream arrives probably tomorrow, which is going to be, you guys, February 1st. Amazing. Well, we had a really close encounter, uh, not of the third kind, but of the asteroid kind. An asteroid that was just discovered yesterday whizzed right past us. It was a near-Earth asteroid 2017 BH30, and it was discovered by the Catalina Sky Survey in Arizona just the day before yesterday. And uh, they announced later that very same day Uh, And they used the Minor Planet Center uh, to report it. I've never heard of that before, but the Minor Planet Center reported that the Earth was going to have a very close encounter with with this asteroid. It was only going to be 0.18 lunar distance. Well, let me clarify that for you a little bit. The moon is about 250,000 miles away from Earth. I think that's pretty correct. But this asteroid that passed by was 43,000 miles away from us. Wow. That is a close shave. Yes, found the same day, uh, uh, skipped past us the same day at a really close distance. Wow. And we're getting more and more of those, by the way. All right. Well, this is interesting. Did you know that we're being pushed around? Mm, The whole galaxy (laughs) is being pushed around. Yeah. It's not just the people in power that are pushing us around, but there are cosmic forces at play and specifically from the uh, uh, periodical cosmos, they say that an extragalactic void is shoving our Milky Way galaxy from behind. And astronomers have recently discovered why the Milky Way is barreling through space faster than the universe's rate of expansion. We're going really fast, guys. Well, we are being pushed from behind by an enormous void that they are calling the dipole repeller well this gets into magnetics and astronomy and all that so I'm going to skip that part but I will tell you that the article says that like everywhere else in the universe the void is expanding but without gravity of any galaxies to keep its expansion in check this means that the expanding void pushes on nearby galaxies including our own by the way a bit like bubbles of air expanding inside of a rising cake is that wild? A yeah. void is pushing us along. It's mystical and uh, very interesting to contemplate. Well, they found some very rare dinosaur prints found in British Columbia, Canada. I don't know how many of you follow dinosaurs or are interested in dinosaurs, but it's fascinating. Paleontologists in northeast British Columbia have revealed a series of rare discoveries at a recently discovered dinosaur track site including a footprint not yet seen anywhere else in the world. 
Now, this print is of a four-toed meat-eating dinosaur, which belonged to a, let's see if I can say this, guys, Therizinosaur, which what they say is an early Cretaceous area dinosaur. Now, apparently, uh, any prints of a four-toed meat-eater is a uh, rare find, perhaps never found before. So, a four-toed meat-eating dinosaur. They're finding all kinds of new dinosaurs, by the way. We don't always cover that, but they're just uh, coming up with all kinds of new things. Well, in Austin uh, last week, uh, something very strange appeared in the sky. That's Texas, by the way, talking about Austin, Texas. It happened actually last night. And there are wildly differing reports from witnesses uh, that make the event event, uh, even more baffling. This is a UFO event, by the way. One witness said that she and her roommate spotted a trio of orange lights that seemed to be in a triangular formation. According to this witness, the objects eventually rose in altitude and sped away out of sight. Now, this was not the only person to notice something out of the ordinary that evening, as five people from Louisiana and Texas called the American Meteor Society around the same time to report similar sightings. Do you live in that area? Did you see it? Uh, those objects in the sky, orange, orange floating objects in triangular formation. Here is a wonderful story. And by the way, I want to point out that uh, uh, three of these major best stories tonight came from Starseed listeners and from Lavendar, so I want to thank uh, for that participation. There's just some wonderful stories that came from other people's efforts at keeping me informed. And here's one of them. This is an amazing story. A psychic cat fetches big bucks. That's it, money, moolah, dollars, rubles, whatever. (laughs) (laughs) Excuse me. In a bizarre story that came out of Russia, a man claims to have turned torment into treasure after selling his troublesome psychic cat for a whopping sum. Now, known only as Dmitry R., this man says that he inherited the cat from his late aunt, or aunt, but grew weary of the creature after it began displaying strange behavior such as allegedly appearing behind locked doors. Now, eventually, according to Dimitri, the feisty feline began influencing his mind and making him feel compelled to immediately go buy specific cat food that this kitty was craving. Well, as one might expect, this all began to take a toll on Dimitri's marriage, and so he decided that it was time to part ways with the psychic cat. Well, fortunately... There is apparently quite the market for clairvoyant cats in Russia, as Dmitri purportedly sold the creature to a Siberian witch that had traveled nearly 3,000 miles to procure the animal from Dmitri. Now, according to him, the woman arrived at his home with a bevy of tools used for divination and ultimately decided that she simply had to have the cat and paid an astounding $83,000 for this kitty cat. And she was intending to use the animal in her psychic practice, and the witch expressed confidence to Dimitri that the cat would easily pay for itself via its supernatural abilities. While one may think that Dimitri's extraordinary experience is hard to believe, Russian media appears to disagree, as his story has received considerable attention and has actually gone viral all throughout Russia. And in one final weird detail to an already strange tale, which I think is adorable, the cat boasts a remarkably mundane name for a creature said to be imbued with such marvelous psychic powers. Cat's name? Charles Ultkins. (laughs) 
So how a psychic <laughs> Russian cat somehow wound up with the name Charles Olkins may be the most mysterious and vexing aspect of the entire story. <laughs> <laughs> Charles Olkins, the Russian psychic cat. <clears throat> there were pictures of that kitty with the article. and <clears throat> Excuse me, I beg your pardon. I don't know if it's the same cat. It was adorable. And if that was the psychic cat, I couldn't have parted with him for anything. It was an adorable cat. I had really brilliant eyes. In fact, I think it was his cat because it was a video uh, that showed the uh, – he actually videoed his cat. And it showed the cat on the floor communicating with uh, the owner and uh, sort of skittish, kind of wanted to hide under cupboards and everything. But it was a wonderful cat. I would have, I would have loved to have had that cat. But anyway, what a story, huh? Yeah. Well, um, uh, this is a particular interest to Starseed and really had me scratch my head. You know, this job makes me stretch a lot. Um, a lot of times I report on articles about science, and, and science has advanced so much since I was uh, a youngster in school. <laughs> and I'm having a pretty hard time keeping up with this, I'll tell you. It's just uh, expanding ex- exponentially and so many new discoveries and so many new finds, and it's becoming so specialized uh, that sometimes I just really have a hard time unwinding it. So I'm going to share this story with you with the understanding that um, my reporting is only as good as my understanding, but I did try to simplify it, and I did cross-check with several articles to sort of, number one, help me understand what I was talking about, and number two, to verify that this was actually real. So the headline reads, Scientists unveil a new form of matter, time crystals. Well, now, you know, to most people, average people, crystals mean diamonds and gems, and to us, as starseed, it means quartz crystals, maybe some amethyst, you know, important to starseeds. But apparently... These kinds of inert crystals are the tip of the crystal iceberg. Now, in a paper published online last week, the University of California, Berkeley, an assistant professor of physics there, describes exactly how to make and measure the properties of something called a time crystal. So what happened? Some people followed the recipe and they made them. Two groups at the University of Maryland and Harvard University followed this man's blueprint and have already created the first ever time crystals. Now, here's where it gets a little bit complicated. But unlike inert crystals that have static properties and a steady state of equilibrium within them, time crystals are completely different. They repeat in time. They oscillate because they are kicked periodically like like jiggling jello. And I don't know that they even know why they move inside. I couldn't discern that. But as uh, they're able to, um, well, they move. And uh, other crystals don't move inside. They are considered to have a motionless equilibrium. Diamonds and rubies are static inside. Uh, Time crystals are not. They oscillate at a very rapid frequency. Now, this discovery is considered to be an entirely new form of matter, non-equilibrium matter, unlike the uh, matter of metals and insulators that are steady state, non-equilibrium matter. Um, It's been predicted that there are many more strange types of matter out there in the universe that we have no idea about and that we're looking for. How can you look for something if you don't know what it is? But that's what they're doing. And uh, they say that these other types of matter aren't in equilibrium either just like these time crystals. And uh, they say that, well, now that we know time crystals are real, 
that there is this type of matter, which um, is in an uh, uh, what, oscillating state of existence, and non out of balance, not steady state. Um, and they say that this will have vast applications in uh, nearly perfect memory storage and will be useful in quantum computers. So for those of you that have uh, the ability, search that out. Uh, you maybe understand it much better than I did, but um, it's fascinating anyway, and um, it just goes to show how we are catapulting forward uh, not only into qu quantum reality on all fields, really. It's just amazing uh, the, how the world is changing, and that is a part of it. And when they utilize those crystals for, let's say, the development of quantum computers, oh, my gosh, the world will be unrecognizable. And, geez, it's, a bo it's boggling. It really is. And, of course, why they're calling them time crystals, I wasn't really able to be able to figure out. Um, how that connects to perhaps properties of time. Uh, it could have to do with phasing. Um, maybe they feel that this is a dimensional doorway. I, I that, Those are my words, not theirs. <clears throat> Any of you that would care to uh, explore that a little bit and explain it to me, feel free to email me. But um, <laughs> check it out. Uh, you all check it out. Time crystals, a new discovery, a new form of matter. And once again, I will say this. It just goes to show you, and we've talked about new discoveries in crystals several times on this show. It just goes to show um, the, the great importance of crystals, as Lavendar has been saying for so many years. So, so many years. Well, here is a wonderful story, and I'm going to tell you, I take this personally because I went to the dentist today. <laughs> and the article is called The End of Fillings. Researchers develop a drug that regrows damaged teeth. Wow. Wow. Researchers at King's College in London, uh, that's the UK as you all know, have discovered that a drug called uh, titaglucib uh, is designed, that's designed to regrow brain cells in patients living with Alzheimer's can stimulate the stem cells contained in the pulp of teeth. Now, this drug generates enough dentine, which is that hard calcified tissue beneath the outer enamel of our teeth, and it will naturally regenerate the damaged teeth, substantially reducing the need for any artificial fillings. Now, previous work uh, by this research team has shown that this drug stimulates stem cells definitely in the center of the tooth, and that this will trigger the teeth to develop specialized tooth cells and rebuild the tooth. Wow. Is that amazing? Is that amazing? <laughs> wow. Yeah. Not soon enough for me, but uh, it will be good for those who follow, yes. Hopefully. No side effects, I hope. Well, there's another study out that was shared uh, with the public by uh, from phys.org, and that is that the growth of bacteria can be stimulated by antibiotics. Now, we've heard about antibiotics causing um, mutation in bacteria and that they adapt, but not that it makes them grow. And according to this study, the growth of bacteria can be stimulated by antibiotics, and uh, researchers that found this out were surprised to find that mutated E. coli, very common bacteria, it grows on everybody's skin, uh, e. e. coli will produce faster uh, before encountering antibiotics uh, and it will grow three times larger 
the populations, what, the populations of bacteria will go three times larger because of the mutations that they undergo after an exposure to antibiotic. They say that bacteria has a remarkable ability to rearrange its DNA, and this can stop drugs from working perhaps in a matter of days. So not only do they rearrange their DNA to make them immune to antibiotics, it also makes them grow faster and expands their population by three times. Wow. So that really makes one wonder uh, about the wisdom of antibiotics uh, even more. Kind of like uh, we're really kind of working against ourselves there. Well, we have had some animal problems uh, since we spoke uh, on the news last week. Um, there has been a, and I'm not reporting all of it, but there were mass seagull deaths uh, at the port of Tacoma in Washington. They say it's a very mysterious ailment that has been killing or paralyzing seagulls that happened this past week, and it's baffling wildlife biologists. About 50 seagulls have been found dead or paralyzed from the neck down. They say they've never seen anything like this. Some of the birds were found sitting on the ground with only their head moving. So uh, anyway, and that's sad. They said they can't fly, they can't walk, they can't move, and they don't know why. So let's send some love that way. Pretty tough. And uh, Alaska has had a big eruption. The Boguslav volcano has erupted again. Um, The Alaskan Volcano Observatory has raised the aviation warning level uh, because of it. Uh, this volcano erupted last Friday morning, said that it generated an ash cloud as high as 30,000 feet. Now, that volcano is 850 miles southwest of Anchorage, and it has erupted more than 25 times since mid-December. That's 25 times. And they said it would continue periodic eruptions for months. So, anyway, after Friday's event, they raised the uh, aviation color code from orange to red, that's the highest level, so they're obviously going to try to bypass that with flights. Um, they want uh, traffic control, con- traffic air controllers are uh, telling planes to steer clear. And in uh, Italy, we had uh, some school children that were evacuated yesterday after the island's active volcano, Mount Etna, experienced a flurry of quakes. Flurry of quakes means more than 60 tremors yesterday morning. 60 tremors yesterday, oh, wow. Mount Etna. Now, they're not really terribly small. Uh, some of them measured at least 3.5. So it's not like they're one point. Uh, many of them were over three point in magnitude. So, Mount Mount Etna. <clears throat> well, here is a wild story from from a book, a movie, someone's wild imagination, in fact... It was someone's wild imagination. It's about a floating city. And uh, the wild imagination might have been from Peter Thiel. How do I say this? Do you, do you all know T-H-I-E-L, the co-founder of PayPal? Is that Thiel or Thiel or what? Well, I would say like Thiel, said, but who, you know. Thiel. Maybe that, that sounds better. You know, I really should look that up before the news. I, I should be embarrassed, but I'm not. No pride, you know. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, the billionaire co-founder of PayPal helped launch something called the Cease Deading Institute in 2008. And then they said it sounded like a pipe dream. It was an idea about floating cities, free from government meddling, meaning no regulation, no taxes, that would be testing grounds for technological, social, and political innovation. They say, but 
just the 13th of January, just a couple weeks ago. The dream came one step closer to reality when the Seastead Institute signed a deal with French Polynesia that lays the legal groundwork for the world's first semi-autonomous floating city-state. Semi-autonomous floating city-state. Wild. Well, why would French Polynesia sign a deal? Well, article says that uh, French Polynesia, including Tahiti, is part of that, by the way, is a cluster of more than 100 islands in the South Pacific, and like other coastal and island nations in the Pacific, the Polynesians are very interested in a high-tech floating village that will not only provide jobs for Polynesian workers, but attract investment dollars for Polynesian entrepreneurs. So, unbeknownst to most of us, in the works, and uh, perhaps who knows, and not in the distant future, there will be a semi-autonomous floating city-state in the Pacific Ocean, just floating out there. Pretty amazing stuff, really. And, you know, one of my thoughts was, gosh, is there not going to be a square inch of the world that is not covered (laughs) with some type of development? But anyway, there you have it. And uh, it's an interesting proposition, actually, Uh, something to think about. It's one way to get away from government, I suppose. So anyway, we'll see where that takes us. But uh, what an interesting thought. And somehow, I'll bet some of you out there remember that perhaps in ancient times, there may have been things already like that existing. You know, that may be some wise philosopher once said there's nothing new under the sun. And something about that seems very Atlantean to me. What do you think, Ariel? I agree. Yeah, yeah, all right. Well, anyway, that's it for tonight's news. And from my heart to yours, each and every one of you, please have a beautiful week. Please be close to your soul and close to your center and hang on and keep spiraling up. That's what we're here to do. Much love to each and every one of you. You too, Ariel Lavendar. Tonight's mm-hmm. guests, everybody, <clears throat> thanks a lot. Catch well, you next thank week. You. Thank you so much, Anastasia. We so enjoy the Starseed News. Food for thought. So um, I'm going to go now to um, our guest, Tricia Kelly, Get your microphone open and um, Lavendar as well. Okay, ladies, Tricia, you are on the air, and Lavendar, take it away. Well, Well, Tricia, I am so excited about this book. I want you to know that when I started reading it, I went in and and, uh, sent you an email because I wanted to talk to you as I was reading it, but you didn't email me back, so I just kept reading and reading, and I just loved it so much. So welcome, my friend. Oh, thank you so much, and thank you, Ariel, for the lovely intro and everything that you said about me and my books and things. And, um, yes, I did get your message, and it was sort of exciting. You were saying that you had just started it and you were loving it, so I thought, oh, I'll just let you run with it. And um, I'm glad it synced in with you there. (laughs) That was good timing. Yes, it was. It was really good timing. So um, before we talk about... uh, that book, that her, her her love story, Mr. Henley. I wish you'd talk a little bit about your other books first. There's your Star Seeds, Beyond Time, Spirit Boy, and Dauphine Goes Blue. Just give us a brief synopsis of those three books, if you would. Oh yes, and um, and I know that in the archives in your show, we did a wonderful um, show about the Star Seeds when you read that book. Yeah, you had great excitement for that novel. 
Um, yes, I'm actually getting ready to do book two. I'm just sort of put it out. I always put things out in the universe to myself because I find that you get that guide back that is ready to kind of almost dictate the story to you as well because it's always, you know, it's always that saying, um, Lavender, they come through you as much as they come from you. And um, so I've got that out there that I'm going to get ready to do that. And also um, I'm very committed this year to the media as far as getting things to the film companies to at least look at to see if this is something that they would be interested in. So um, that's on my agenda this year because it, it was almost like they have to grow to that point of view and a lot of things now in this elevation of it's all really um, producers are a little bit more open to subjects that are not the you know basic killer thriller realm so or the horror story or the slasher so that kind of feels exciting and I think that's exciting for everybody that's in this um, kind of energy of putting product out there to uplift so that's kind of um, exciting and I still um, would like to do more episodes of Spirit Boy as a television series I'd always sort of had a feeling that it could be a good subject for the little spirit boy, and you haven't read that book. I must send it to you. It, I haven't it, read that. I would love for you to send that to me. Yes. Oh, yes. I absolutely will because, and I'll send you the other little one too. I don't know if you have any little kids around that you ever want to read to, but um, Spirit Boy is actually about a boy who died on a playground, and when he sees two kids headed for trouble on the same playground that he died on, he actually goes back, and so he manifests as the spirit teacher. And he actually teaches a lot of the law of attraction principles. And, um, you know, it, it's one of those things too, Lavender. I wrote the treatment in um, the mid-80s. And then in the 90s, just after my sister died, um, I wrote it as a screenplay. And I couldn't get anybody to read it. It was just sort of like, really? You know, it was just too out there. And... In 2008, I decided then I would turn it into a novel so that at least I could get people to read it. And um, there was one man that read it. I sent it to him at 1 in the morning. And you know when you get those wonderful emails of confirmation? Um, I opened the computer, you know, 8 o'clock, and he said, I started at 1, I finished at 5.30, I did not stop, I did not walk the dog, I did not have a coffee, I did not pee. I could not stop reading your book. And um, there are a few people that have contacted me about that, that it really triggers them. He said it was like the perfect message for me, even though it was written through the eyes of this little child that is a teacher, because a child is just pure wisdom. So um, that was really nice. So it's, you know, I'm a much better creator in my right brain than I ever am as a left brain marketer. So I have to bring that balance this year. That's my focus. Right, great. Well, yeah. I want and you to know that when I started reading um, uh, your book, I just I, I didn't want to cook. I didn't want to. I didn't want to go to the bathroom. I, I understand all that. <laughs> it's like once you get into it, you don't you don't want anyone to disturb me. In fact, I had to to throw all the cats out of the room because they were wanting to come and, you know, they wanted their attention and I had to throw them out so I could read my book. But I wanted I wanted just to read one page.
for the audience, if you don't mind. I'm going to page um, page 100, okay? I'd like to read from your book. Back at the hotel, I finally got to relax, and my mood was on fire. I was dancing around and singing, oh, my God, oh, my God, I'm going to see him again. I also wasn't going to be naive and think it was just me. He did say he had a girlfriend. But I was unique. Our fire of desire started in another part of the globe away from everyone in L.A. There's nothing one can do to stop a groupie from throwing themselves at his feet either. It made me wonder why one would throw away their dignity. Lovemaking is an equal exchange of energy. When one tosses them aside, they are tossing their own life to the curb as all events are a reflection of oneself. Everyone lingers in another's aura, and it bleeds over to each lover. To disrespect another means you're lacking respect for yourself to start with. And I was glad I never thought of myself as his fan. At times I wished he was someone else, low-key, even anonymous, but that would be a ridiculous notion. He is who he is, and I had to accept that if I was going to be a lover of this man, I had to see him that way. He just happened to play music, happened to be famous for his talent. He had an industry of people backing him, depending on him, his other group members, the record company, the promoters, his management. When money is invested, you become a cog in that machine. That industry has people under contract, and some even end up being unhappy contributors. It takes a lot of bricks to build a pyramid for another to sit on top in any field. I just love the way you presented that. So with that, let me ask you, how long did it take you to write this book, and then what possessed you to finally decide to step out and and tell the world about it? You know, um, in the book, you probably remember reading that I actually started writing it in the 70s. So there's lucky ones that could afford the IBM um, typewriter. <laughs> so that was, I'm going to sit down and write this my life story of this story because I, as we all talk about the story, I just felt the synchronicities were just weird. And nobody was using those terms and nobody even, I mean, we weren't even on a computer in those days. So it was sort of like, why did these sort of weird magical events happen? I mean, how do you come halfway across the world to see a man um, and end up sitting on his fence before you even go to his house and his fence? You know, these sort of little things that I put in the book. And so it was just sort of lingered because I really didn't ever have an ending to the story and I didn't know whether I needed an ending to the story in in a sense. And then I was telling a few people about this, you know, this what happened and things like that. And they said, oh, my God, that's such a good story. You should really tell it. And I said, yeah, I've thought about it. And then I thought, well, I should really include it more about the miracles of life and he was a huge as I said a catalyst because had he not triggered that in me or triggered those experiences I may not have been um, gone on the spiritual path of like you know what's it all about Alfie you know that kind of energy and so that's how I sort of feel about um, our my relationship with him was the this huge stepping stone in that direction and I'm so grateful for it so it just I went one day you know what I've got to put it down 
and in a sense, when you put it down, you can actually almost put it to sleep. You know, it's like it's the, the wonderful thing about any book is, you know, you start it, you you work on it, you finish it, you publish it. It's that beginning, middle, and end. You know, you might go back and tweak it, but it's it's a done process. And so I just felt I had to do it, and um, so I did. Don't you think that? that each time that you had an experience with him, that it was so uh, karmic. It's, it's like your souls had been so entwined in so many different other lifetimes that it was actually kind of boosting your own memory about who you who you are and, and what you're going to be doing further on the planet. I kind of felt like he was not only a catalyst, he was, he was a supercharge, <laughs> okay? It's like oh. every time you were with him... Look at the things that you discovered. Look at the things that you decided to get into right after you were you're with him. It was like he was launching you in so many different directions, and yet at the same time there was that emotional, uh, sexual pull that, that kept everything going. Yes, and, you know, we often, you know, use the expression in that twin soul or that twin flame kind of energy. Um, there's a lot of his... Um, loves in life that are my loves in life. Now, you know, I mean, I fell in love and ended up being a songwriter because I used to sort of, in a sense, be thinking of him and even in the pining and it would trigger me to write. Now, I never thought of being a songwriter, I mean, ever, but these things used to just flow out of me like a river and, and melodies and ideas and so, you know, that parallel to his life because he does it now I mean he does it very successfully and so we can never compare success as um, what your passion is because your passion is what your passion is whether it's you know growing an orchard or just having a little plot of you know land where you plant a few veggies it's still the same passion you see so I don't compare myself as far as the success of somebody um it's being better or, or anything like that. So that there's, he has a great love for the land. He has a great love for the environment. And so there were a lot of things that kept popping up that were very similar. And then I discovered other people that knew him, that I knew him, you know, that there was always like this little triangle of um, energy that comes around, you know. Like the other day, I woke up and I had the song. He wrote a song called um, That Old Flame, which was very, um, very had a lot of synchronicities in that as well. When I heard it, I went, wow. Um, now, I woke up hearing that song, and then I ended up having an email from a man who wrote a, an article about me. And this is bizarre, um, Lavender, and I have to tell you, he wrote an article that has become his number one article on his website and it had a little picture of me as a feature article and when people click and open that he would write to me and say oh my god 17,000 17 million opened it you know 26 million a few weeks later 50 and now he wrote to me that day that I woke up 54 million people have now clicked on that to read it I mean that's phenomenal and at the same time, he turned around and I looked and I looked at the date and I said, oh, wow, it's the 22nd of January. 
20, 21st, 22nd in Australia, 22nd in Australia in January, 41 years ago, we went out. He flew me to, to Melbourne after we had spent, you know, a day and a night in Australia, in Sydney. So there's, it was sort of that synchronicity again that just pops up. I wish so, it, um, wish you would email me that, that or I would love to to read what that guy wrote. I'd love to see that. I, with a huge article, and it it really went into a lot of um, music and synchronicities and coincidences. He's um, he only interviews very very famous people, and he um, heard about the book. And one of Don's girlfriends, ex girlfriends, um, knew him and pushed him and said, "You got to get hold of this girl. You got to talk to her. You got to find out there's more to the story." And he was hesitant at first, and he said, okay, well, let's just chat. And when we started talking, he said, wow, you're, you know, I'm not flattering myself here, but he said, you're one of the most intelligent women I've ever spoken to. He said, you really get it, don't you? Like what this whole concept of energy and coincidences and manifestations, because he was a little bit, um, hadn't really heard of it in that sense. You know, we're, we're familiar with it because we follow, you know, like-minded friends. But he wasn't, and he was fascinated in it. And so he said to me, look, I think it's really good. I'm just going to go ahead and write the article. And he did speak to their office, and they had no problem with him or, as I said, with me saying anything um, about my relationship because I don't think they sort of sensed that the book was in any way harmful that the book I wrote to encourage people to follow their passion and maybe there is a little bit in the labeling of um, attraction that I have used with it being Don Henley, but that just happens to be my my fact. I can't take away my fact. Um, But at the same time, I wrote it to encourage people to really live in that space of, of when your heart knows something, when it pumps in that way. And, you know, for your audience, if, if I can just quickly go back to a little snippet of the storyline. Um, I met Don Henley in Australia in a, in a backstage concert setting. And I had been to a few backstage things because I knew from a promoter that did them in Australia. And I was really actually hiding up in a corner of a room on some stairs, just sitting there. I loved observing. I traveled the world a lot, and I loved just watching people. And I was just watching, and the more I watched, the more his energy came at me, and he kept staring at me and staring at me that I got to the point that when a vibrational energy comes at you that strong for anybody, you know, that's had a lover or a love affair or you meet those eyes across the room and you just go, wow, you know, boy, he shot me in energy. I've got to look away, you know. And I would sneak back a look and he'd still be looking at me and then he ended up inviting me for a drink. And he took me to a room and we started talking and um, he manipulated his roadie to make sure I was in his limo, which I actually found out many years later that that was kind of part of their groupy, tricky kind of, Um, you know, rock star energy. And I ended up sitting in a limbo driving off with him alone. And we really didn't leave each other's side till he left. 
the following afternoon and um, I was very secretive about him as well. I kept him very hidden. And then he invited me. Um, I really didn't think I was going to see him again. I just thought, you know, oh, my goodness, I've got caught up. And, you know, I, I used the expression, you know, I fell in love with him on the spot as an energy, as a person. And I really didn't know his name. I didn't even know who, what he's saying. I'd never, you know, studied him. I'd been traveling. I never had a record, you know. In fact, I went home to get changed quickly before I went back to meet him in the morning. Um, and I kind of looked at a record to find out what his name was because I still didn't know his name and I kind of joke about it. I slept with a man with no name so um, we just sort of then hung out in, the, in Melbourne and went to the concert and went back to Sydney in the plane and he just wouldn't leave my side I mean he really he made me wait till the very last minute till he walked through the exit and said you know if you ever come to LA come and see me look me up and they were young, they were traveling the world, they were at the top of their game, you know, women weren't traveling with them, it wasn't like you, you know, you could pack your bag and go with them, it was sort of quite closed as far as, you know, their distraction at that time, and so I went back and, you know, in a devastated kind of mood, like, what have I done, you know, I've, I've kind of fallen in love with this transit stopper. And and then I just went, you know what, I'm going to go to L.A. I've got to go to L.A. and I'm going to see this man again. And I started to work and save and work and just couldn't stop thinking I'm going to go to L.A. And he did call me because I sent him a birthday card. I knew he was a cancer. You know, you ask that question, what sign are you? <laughs> so I sent him a cancer birthday card because he'd given me his address and all his contact info. And he called me and um, I said, yeah, I'm going to come one day. I will get there. And so what happened was that I think when I write about the story, um, Lavender and Synchronization, and I kind of went back to why did everything sync up? Like why did I happen to meet the perfect man in Hawaii that kind of took me under his wing and was incredibly kind to me? Like he probably was brother in past lifetime kind of energy. He just was there like this big beacon saying, come and talk to me. And he, when I came to L.A., he took me under his wing again. And there were different synchronizations that happened with me just saying to him things like, you know, I had no accommodation. It was completely booked out. And you don't, you know, as I said, this is all pre-computer. You, you, you know, the real, um, real sorry, the agent at the, um, when I bought my ticket, you know, you had to go into an office to buy them in those days too. Everything was so expensive. I just said, no, I'll just find a motel, you know, in Hawaii because I was kind of planning on staying two days there. And, and of course, New Year's Eve, there is no accommodation in Hawaii. So I ended up hanging out with this man who became a really great friend for, for many years still. And, um, when he came to Los Angeles, we drove from the airport to a house up on Mulholland Drive that he had built, and he'd left his truck there. And while I was sitting on the balcony, it was like goosebumps, and, and you know you get that river of energy that just runs through you that just gives you that shiver? It was like that, and I just thought, wow, 
LA's really cool. You know, I had no idea of the size, you know, flying in and seeing the the vastness of it and thinking where the hell would Don Henley ever live here? You know, it was that kind of little girl coming from New Zealand energy. But I didn't know that the balcony that I was standing on and the house that I ended up living in a few days later actually looked directly at Don Henley's property. There was nothing between me and Don Henley's property. And this is in the size of Los Angeles. And there was a girl that had come to stay there as well. Um, This man actually went overseas for three weeks, so we were house-sitting his house. And she and I went for a walk the first night, and she was the one that dragged me up this driveway to try and climb over a fence and a property because she worked in a stable and it was a corral gate. And she was convinced that there was probably horses in there. And I wouldn't climb over the fence, but we just sat on the fence, hung around the fence, watched the sunset at the fence. And then a few weeks later when he came to pick me up for a date, he drove to his property because um, there was the house wasn't built then, but he drove to the property annoyed that they hadn't closed his gate and I'm sitting in the car thinking, oh, my God, I've already been to that gate. How did I come halfway around the world and sit on this gate? You know, it's just like the city of angels or it's just spirit guides. Or, and there was really nobody to talk about that, so I never talked about it. I, I didn't even ever tell him that I'd been there because it, I, I quoted in the book, um, he would have thought I was some sort of spiritual stalker, you know, to have known that, but as I said, there was no Google Earth or MapQuest, but there is a really strong God quest in us. I really believe that. Yeah, that was one part of the story that really got my attention was how you zeroed in energetically, came to Los Angeles, and somehow your beep-beep just kept you going to the beep-beep to find it. It yes. was just incredible the way that happened. And so tell us you, more. Uh, the the other thing that I quite often compare it to as well is that because we hear this about animals, you know, animals can track across you know five states and end up at their you know the doorstep of their owner, and um, you wonder how on earth it ever happened that they could come that that way, and you really understand that love vibration because when an animal is lost in the wilderness and it ends up being there. The one thing that the other person is always going to be doing is sending out that beacon of love, whether it's I miss you, I hope you're okay, you know, I'm sorry I left you behind, I'm sorry you got lost. I mean, there's always that energy. And I think the vibrational energy of animals is so in tune on their high vibration that we as humans can do that too. And I think... I was just vibrating. Now, when I was talking before about how did this work, you know, and and as I said, I had nothing to compare it to because nobody had ever, I never knew of anybody that had ever had these kind of experiences. And so when I was thinking about it um, later when I was writing the book, and I thought passion is such a powerful energy. I mean, love is a powerful energy, but your your passion to do something, whether it be a career, a person, a love, you know, find the right house or whatever, if if focal, you you actually can manifest it very easily. And 
coming to a foreign country, and when I've read other people, Lavender, about synchronicities and stories, I don't really hear anybody that's written one as good as mine, but I don't mean that. I'm just joking in this. You know, they have little little coincidence stories and things. But a lot of the more um, PhD kind of people are writing about this subject now, you know, from the Carl Jung, but in the new version of it. And they quite often say that synchronicities line up really powerfully in life-changing situations. And they happen a lot around um, places like airports, um, moving countries. Um, when you make those choices to move, to do something, the alignment just keeps aligning. And have you ever heard of that? No, but it makes sense. I hadn't, I hadn't uh, uh, heard it like you just told it, but I, that certainly makes sense. It's, it's almost like a a buzz on a ley line. It's like once you jump on a ley line uh, on the planet with a crystal grid, then if you're in harmony with the crystal grid and there's another soul that's traveling with you on that ley line, I can see how those things would be magnified and maybe some ET help would come along to push it along. Oh, I I would agree that I think I had... Um, the marching orders of everybody behind me pushing this because it just seemed to have driven me. And, you know, I don't want to sound like, oh, yeah, she was the groupie because I actually, the only time I was ever around music was Don was at the concert when I've seen him in shows and, and other shows since I've been with him. I, you know, I'm, I'm a great fan of his work, but I never was around him in that e- energy. And, I mean, sadly, and I mention this in the book, um, things didn't work out. You know, it was sort of like we'd come together and it would sort of explode like it wasn't meant to be then or at that time. And we were on a different vibration because the vibration that he was on um, revolved around a lot of drugs. And I wasn't into the drugs. You know, I didn't mind puffing a bit of marijuana here and then, but I wasn't a chemical dependent person I wasn't a quaily girl or I, I wasn't you know going to be the orgy girl sniffing cocaine all night and you know I don't mean that in, in a bad way um, if others chose that because he was choosing others that were also you know around a lot of that drug taking energy and, and, and they talk openly about it whether it's Stevie Nicks and her relationship with him were a lot of drugs and, you know, a lot of, I wouldn't just single him out. I would say it was collectively across Los Angeles and in all fields. I saw it everywhere. And it kind of amazed me when I first came here how much drugs there were in, in the world. But over here, um, I have to tell your audience uh, another kind of like part of these synchronicities in this, I had planned on... I was in the Philippines and I had been modeling and my girlfriend that I'd been skiing with went to Indonesia, Bali, and um, I had already been there before. It was quite life-changing. And I said to her, look, I'll change my ticket and fly back. And it's in that part of the world. I mean, it's just bunny hopping from here to here kind of thing. But because I had a free ticket, I wasn't able to change it. 
And that's the reason I had to fly back to Australia. And had I not flown back to Australia, I would not have met my friend at the airport, which is that what I was saying to you again about those life-changing events that happen in those kind of places. Um, I met him and he invited me to the concert. So that's how that came about. I lost contact with this girl completely. I mean, she traveled around the world. She went to India. She went to Pakistan. I mean, she just did her whole world trip. And um, after when I first came to L.A. and I had said to my friends, you know, I really just want to see him for 10 minutes and I'll know if there's anything there. And the first thing he says to me is, I can only see you for 10 minutes. Now, we don't know back then how much we're projecting our own law of attraction, you know, and law of events. So it was almost like I, whether or not I knew that up front or not, that I had said it and that's what happened. And then they went away on tour. They were leaving the next day. And so I went to Utah and I flew into, um, I'm sorry, Salt Lake City, and I went to Park City to ski. And I thought, well, I'll just hang out here maybe. I didn't have any address, by the way. When I went to L.A., I had one address, um, his, on Sunset Boulevard, which is my joke. He gave, he gave me the address on Sunset Boulevard, but I watched the sunset on his fence instead. So, um, and the um, a really good friend of mine in New Zealand was going to be in LA in three weeks and said, call my sister, went on three weeks and we'll get together. She happened to live right across. I could see her where she lived from this house that I lived in for three weeks. And so I used to walk past Don's place to her to visit her, and then I ended up moving in there. So it became this triangle when you're talking about ley lines and that kind of portal energy. Um, it, it was like everybody was in walking distance. And this isn't a city that's one of the biggest in the world. Up on, I don't know if you're familiar with Maholland Drive. Oh, yeah. It, it, yes, and, and for your audience, it's um, it's kind of, like a um, a road that runs right along through the Santa Monica mountain range between Beverly Hillside and what they call the Valley Side. And so I was right up there in that peak. And so I ended up living with her and moved in. So it was just everybody kept bumping in and being the perfect next step. That was, But in, in between, before I moved into this house, I actually went to Utah. I had a ticket to see a ski instructor and I'd been working on the mountain and they were just friends, you know, and I thought, well, I'll hang out there maybe. And um, I walked across the street to a little restaurant with him for dinner, put my bags down, walked across, and the girl that I was supposed to meet in Bali walked into the restaurant. And she... <laughs> I know, it, that was too much. Yeah, but she was only there for 10 minutes to say hello to her boss and she and I'm yelling at her across the restaurant. And I had been yelling, and I used that expression. I was kept yelling at people across the restaurant um, and got yelled at as well. But the other one was the girl in Hawaii. When I said, look, I should have found her address, I wasn't thinking I could have actually slept on her couch. And she'd been a gypsy and traveling around as well, so I didn't really know if she was there or not, but I, that was the last place I knew of her being. And so when I went to a Hawaiian restaurant my first night in L.A., who walks into the Hawaiian restaurant but my Hawaiian girlfriend. And so that was sort of like, what are you doing here? 
And we went to a nightclub, and I'm saying, oh, my best friend in Australia owns this franchise to his club, you know, same one. And lo and behold, when I went out on my own the next night, he's standing beside me. And so I ended up with like about seven of these events that just popped up within days. And um, I rang up a maitre d', and it's amazing when you have that trust and faith. It's it's kind of, I, I don't know where it came from because I didn't really have any... Um, knowledge of this do you see what I'm saying so it was just really in a sense blind faith then and I think I rang up a restaurant to a maitre d and um I said you know I'm eating alone and can I eat at the bar and what can I wear and am I okay and in jeans and a cute shirt and how much is everything I was very concerned about that kind of you know not running out of money and he said come up to the bar my name's Joe so I walked up and said hi Joe well his girlfriend that was sitting there went ballistic. I mean, she literally started, like, are you sleeping with him? And this whole little restaurant was staring at me. And I turned around and I went into shock. And the only person that I could actually um, was eating alone was reading over a book looking at me as well. So I walked over and sat down at his table and I said, look, could you just please tell me where I can go to eat because I don't know L.A. I've only been here 24 hours. I don't even know them. And he said, what was that? And I said, I have no idea. I have, I really don't have any idea. Except I rang up to make a reservation. So he said, well, eat here. And he was the one that said, well, I'm going to this club up the street. <coughs> Excuse me. It's very fashionable. You might like it. And I went, oh, cool. And who's standing at the bar was my friend that owned this club, you see. And he's waiting for his best friend or a friend who happened to be my girlfriend's husband who happened to have left with her child. And I said to her, I will find him. I will find him. Don't ask me how. Like, I'd have the yellow pages or the white pages if I was lucky. And he was the one that he was waiting for. And not only that, this almost sounds like make-believe, he said he can't leave because he's waiting for the people who he's staying with who were the barman and the girl that yelled at me. Oh, my and goodness. It, it, no, I bet uh, you were just half nuts after that happened, right? Oh, I was sort of like, you know, I really need a tequila margarita right now. <laughs> so it was all too much. And oh. this is why when I was telling my girlfriend a story about how Every time I did something, it would just appear. And then I said, well, I'm going to stay here and I need, you know, I'm going to have a business. I'm going to manufacture clothes, you know, that was like with my $200, that's what I'm going to do. And I rented two machines and I made a little boy um, that I was staying with, with my um, friend's sister. She had a little boy and she traveled a lot. So she said, please just look after my kid. And I fell in love with this. You know, when you fall in love with a kid, they're just magical. He was one of those kids, and he came home one day and said to me, you know that driveway, I, I, you know that guy that you like? I roller skate in his driveway. <laughs> I said, yeah, yeah, that figures. And um, so anyway, I made him a Kiss Rock Group jacket, a black satin and silver and chains, and I embroidered their name on the back, and and, of course, you know, you're sitting in a restaurant two days later or something and, you know, 
this guy that looked like a rock star. He looked like a, a Kiss member, but in, you know, the high heels and the teased hair and everything. And he said that he had concert tickets to their filming at Magic Mountain. Would, did I want to go? And I said, oh, fantastic. I've got the perfect person to take, which was the little boy in the jacket. And the management came up to me and said, where did you get the jacket? Like I bootlegged it. And I said, well, I made it for the kid because you don't have anything fun like this. And he said, be in my office on Monday morning. We want those for our fan club. And I said, well, I just have a little manufacturing business with my $200. And um, he said, fine, you can do it. And I, it was great. They sent them out to the audience, you know, their fan club. They, I made a perfect, you know, manufactured copy, photographed it all. They sent me the checks and said, you know, make this one, send it here, make this one, send it here. And so I was just getting these envelopes with a hunk of check and, inside all the time and that's how I started my business and so how long did you have the clothing business a few weeks <laughs> literally a few weeks and this is the amazing part lavender it it was all due from the gift of love it wasn't done through the manipulation of I'm going to make the jacket and see if I can get the fan club yeah see and it was right time, right place, right connection. So I think why I'm just sharing this with your audience and, you know, these are some of the details because this continued all the time. I mean, it didn't matter what I did. For many years, there was this huge think about it. Oh, I walked past the house for a few weeks, months, looking through the hedge like, oh, that house is so cute. I'd love to live in a little house like that. And the day I had to move, that house became available, but I had no money, even for a down payment. But I went home and there was an envelope from my aunt from New Zealand saying, could you please bank this money? We're coming in three years or two years. Um, we'll want it then, but if you need it, use it. Um, they had a very strict rule in New Zealand that you could only take out so much money a year per person for um, the deficit and things like that. That's how they used to balance the deficit, by not allowing us to take a lot of money. So um, I had my first and last month's rent and moved in. Oh, that's and, great. That is so great. Yeah. Well, yeah, you've so lived a life of, of synchronization. Your whole life has kind of been that way, oh, hasn't it? it? it no, no, it wasn't always like that because I went off the path. You know, I had my ups and downs too and, and my own self-destruction when things weren't, you know, working out like that, the pity party, the victim energy, you know, poor me. And you know what it revolved around? A deadbeat dad. <laughs> it's it's so incredible. And, and a, even a very wealthy sister who used to say to me all the time, he should be paying for you and he should be doing this. And I used to always say to her, look, Honestly, I don't want his money unless it comes from his heart because the check would be riddled with that energy of hate that he had for his daughter, that he had to pay it. And I said, I don't want to go to court. I don't want her to be a victim of the court system. I don't want me to be like, no, you can't have her. Yes, you can have her. Don't have her. If he wants to be around her, he's welcome. But I'm not doing it through that system. And then one day I carried that hate for him 
say, why don't you want to look after your kid? Why don't you do want to? You know how you, you, we can victimize ourselves so easily with these things and, and life does not align with you at all. And then one day I did a prayer to him. I swear to God, um, Lavender, I had no money. I mean, I was living, you know, pay the bills and have $13 left and start again energy, you know, that raising my daughter was not easy, but it was not hard at the same time because I didn't have this conflicting energy. I stayed away from him. But I did a prayer for him one day, and I said, I've never thanked you for the sperm, and I never thanked you for this creation, and I never thanked you for... Um, how much joy my daughter brings me, and and I just want you to know. And I never said it to him; I said it to his higher mind. And about three days later, he called me. About um, it was a passport had to be renewed, and I kind of did this prayer in a sense because I had to renew her passport. He did put her name on the birth certificate. That was one thing I was really in great, grateful for, because she was an American citizen. So um, anyway, I knew that I had this meeting and I think I put that energy out there. And when I was talking to him, he said to me, um, you know, I have a bank account that I put some money in for Amber. And I said, well, you shouldn't be banking for her when she really needs it now. And I said, could you send it to me for her, right? And I gave him my bank account and in 24 hours I had ten thousand dollars and wow. um yeah so that he was... did come right he you know in a sense um but it really was because i gave him that gratitude of what he gave me and i never had done that before you see so i think when we get into that victimized energy and nothing aligns in our life you know, it becomes really, I always knew two things, and I always said this to myself, God hasn't brought me this far to desert me now, and enough money would come for the check, enough money, I remember a lady ran into me, my car, I was driving into a parking lot, and she backed right into me, and, and buckled my two doors, and I went to the, um, please, I don't want to use insurance. I, I, I will give you the cash. I just, you know, whatever. And I remember going to, you know, the panel beater and they said it was so-and-so. And I, thank you. Thank you. That's my rent. You know, <laughs> oh. <laughs> it was, you know, these little inklings that you, they turn up. They may not turn up in how you want them, but they do, do, to, they do turn up. And um, so I was happy to have a little dent in my car. And she hit between the two doors, so it was actually a lot more expensive to fix than it looked. So um, there was always like little things like that, that that would appear. So I never had that fear. I didn't actually live in the fear. But, you know, we do get into that, that victim energy. And um, I think that was my stop sign for many years. Yeah, was, I think you're right. Was, with that one little thing. And um, so it's uh, it's kind of an interesting journey when you kind of put all of the pieces together because, you know, had I not had the valleys, I wouldn't know the highs. And I wouldn't know how to flip it around. 
But if I can share this story with you, if you, you know, we're okay with time and things. Um, I, my daughter decided to go to New Zealand. And, um, and by the way, I taught my daughter this. And, and I'll tell you two, two quick stories because it's not in, in the book. But she'd gone to a Coachella music festival the year before and stayed with a family that was quite strict. They were still youngish, you know, but they loved it. And they had to be picked up at 11 and not stayed till 1 or whenever it closed. And the best bands come on. And, you know, it was a little bit of a complaint to, for her side. So the next year she wanted to go and she'd saved and she had the money. And she kept bugging me um, about going online. And I said, well, honey, if you want to be responsible enough to go and you're staying in a house there and you're pretty free, really, with you and your girlfriend and these two cousins. I said, then you're old enough to go online and buy your own ticket. You you can use my card to do it, but I'm not going to go and fill out forms. She um, hesitated, and then she went online, and it was sold out. And then she went into that, oh, you know, it's your fault. And I said, no, it can't be my fault if you don't follow your own passion. And I said, look, all you can do is go there. And well, the mothers turned around and said, nope, they can't come now because if they're not going to the concert and don't have tickets, these two girls, they can definitely not stay in the house. This is for me, my husband, and nobody's going to be around in the daytime. You know, we've been to this big house. And I said to Amber, look, take one of the guys went and got a motel out of um, Palm Springs where the concert was. And they drove down there later, and I said, look, all you can do is go and stand at the door and see if you can buy a ticket. Now, they had one ticket. She was the only one that didn't have a ticket. She rings me up. She says, Mom, everybody wants tickets. There are no tickets. There are no tickets. And I said, please don't ask me to create your miracles, Amber. I've told you about this over and over again. I said, did you throw your hands in the air and at least ask for the miracle? And she said, She's like, you know, I can see her rolling her eyes like, oh, here goes my mum again. <laughs> and anyway, she walks. She said, we're going to get a coffee at Starbucks. So they went over to Starbucks and she walked into Starbucks, Lavender. She threw her arms in the air and she said, is there anybody here that has a ticket for sale? And this guy turned around and said, um, I've got a couple of tickets I can get you. And they went out to the his truck. And he gave them two backstage passes, $800 tickets for free, two girls, where all the celebrities were, where she said to me, Mum, they have real toilets back there. You know, like they have real food back there. And um, they had all of that for free. And he did not want any money. And they had one ticket left for $400. She rang up over the moon. And I said, well, I told you, just throw your arms in the air and ask. (laughs) And said, Mom, she said, we're checking into a hotel. Uh, No, that dude, she said, we've got a ticket now we can sell. And I said, well, look, this is what I would suggest as a kind gesture. Do not sell it for one penny more than you you bought it for. There's somebody out there in that audience standing at the gate who can only afford that much. And you just got two free tickets. So do not make money scalping that ticket, even though you could. I said, find that one person intuitively, and they did. They found this little girl that needed, you know, only the $400 ticket because those scalpels are really expensive at that point. They moved into a hotel and got two rooms, one for the two boys and one for the two girls, and had the best weekend. 
So, I love that. I love when things come together like that. Yes, and I think what happens while I was telling this story for your audience is that you can't create the miracles for your kids. You've got to teach them how to create their own miracles and manifest it because, you know, we think as parents that we can do it and we can do this for them and we can do that and we can get them into the right college and we can get them the grants and we can get them, but it's really about their vibration that's going to attract it. It's not about you. So um, that was one of those stories. And so she ended up in New Zealand and she ended up in college down there and she um, ended up having it all granted and it was a wonderful experience for her and she absolutely loves it down there. And I thought, well, you know, I'm not going to live in L.A. anymore. If you're not coming back, I, I, I'm I, moving. And I kept going, but where am I going? Where am I going? I didn't know where I was going to go. And I was meditating one day and I had this vision. And this is not a frightening vision for anybody because who knows what visions are apart from what they mean to you. But on the right-hand side of my vision was all blue and then there was a long black and these black streets that came off but everything was blue and and I looked at it and I went you know how you talk to your higher mind or spirit or whatever and I said spirit you want me to live on a canal and then I went oh everything's underwater is that a tsunami is that what you're showing me you don't want me to live by a coast anymore like that was the west coast and these were all of the the houses, there was no houses. It was just water and streets. And so I went, oh, you want me to live in high ground? And I went online and I went, well, I like California and I like water. Where are the lakes? And uh, I went, oh, my goodness, there's five lakes 90 minutes down the freeway, 5,000 miles up in the mountain. So I went online and I saw all of the little for sale signs and I was clicking on little things saying, well, I could afford that box and I could afford that hut and I could afford that shack. And I, you know, I was sort of playing like that. And I started to make appointments and I would ring up a realtor and then he'd say, well, you know, there's another area called the Valley of Enchantment and there's another area called Blue Jay and there's another area. And these were like little, like almost like little suburbs on this mountain. And I had appointments everywhere, um, Lavender, everywhere. And... Uh, like, I left about 9 o'clock in the morning and I drove 90 minutes down a freeway and I got to the exit to turn off to drive up the mountain and I threw my hands in the air and I said, Spirit, I am not going to drive around in a whirlwind. I will not drive around in a whirlwind. I'm going home. Show me the house. And I went home and I had a meditation and a house turned up with these two bay windows and Two apple trees, this was a movie, not an image. Two apple trees, and then they went to the other side of the house and they showed me two apple trees. And I'm going, wow, that's interesting. You want me to live in Oregon with the apples? And I thought, well, that's kind of weird. I was sort of, you know, almost amusing myself. And I went back online to these lake areas and I hadn't clicked on one particular house you know, that weren't next to the lake because you've got no sense of judgment when you're looking at a map, how close things are and not. And I'm okay if I don't have a lake view, but I like to know that I can drive there or walk there. You know, it's like it's not that far away. And um, I clicked on this one almost instantly. And when the house came up, 
I went, oh, my goodness, that's the house you just showed me. So now I wanted to buy the house. And um, I hadn't got approved and they wouldn't let me. And, you know, they don't like it if you don't work. You know, and I had taken a few years off not to work and just write. And so I really didn't have a lot that I was showing as income, but I had a lot, a lot of funds to live off. So it was like, you know, I'd finished parenting, finished life. You know, I was free to just cruise, you know, after raising a child and being in that timetable. And um, so anyway, they, I, I got approved and the house went into escrow with another person. And I rang the realtor and he said, you know, well, I can show you this and this and I said, well, look, I'm drawn to the area. I should at least drive up there and look at the area. And so I drove up here, and he'd pull up at a house, and I'd say, no, 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 that's not it. And he said, but you haven't seen inside. And I said, no, 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 that's not it. I can tell you now. You know, next. And I said, I don't want to look at anybody out a window. You know, that was my criteria. And I live in in a forest. I've got, you know, 200 feet trees around me. And, um... In the end, I said to him, could you please take me to see that house? I just have to see if it has apple trees. And he said, it's an escrow. And I said, yeah, I know, but I need to see if it has apple trees. So I couldn't explain why, but he wouldn't have got it. And I sneaked down to this um, house that was in a repo. And sure enough, there's two apple trees on both sides. And it has a guest house and a hot house. And, you know, I looked through the windows but what the most amazing thing was, um, Lavender, was that I had been writing, and I'm still kind of playing around with it, a story about a Chinese girl who has a relationship with Buddha in in a sense that she's like a Chinese incarnation of that Buddha energy, but she's a woman. And she was born in a, in, in the story. I have her born in a... Um, uh, what do they call it, like a temple. Her mother ran away, and I won't get into the whole story, pregnant, and she was actually pregnant with an American who got kicked out of the country in the 80s, and he didn't know that he'd had this child, and he goes back looking for the child. It's part of the storyline. Anyway, um, I had gone for a walk one day, and I had was writing this. I was currently writing it, and I walked into the cheesecake factory. They had a... Um, the happy meal and I was, there was one seat at the bar and I went up and I sat there and um, the man next to me and I started talking because they always say I've never met a stranger, you know, because we don't, we just start talking to people. And he said, what are you doing? I said, well, I'm writing this story. And he said, what's it about? And I told him, and he said, that is my story. I don't know if I got anybody pregnant there, but the story of the man working in a factory in a province in China was me when I was young in 86 and I said well then you're the man I have to stay in contact with and get your email because I'm going to need some details for my story and so that's what I'm talking about with these synchronizations so I come to my house that I look up in this mountain and I walk down onto the balcony and there's an old chip statue of a Buddha that they left behind And I rubbed Buddha's tummy, and I rubbed his head, and I actually think I kissed it. And I said, Buddha, look after my house. I'm coming back to live here. And I went upstairs to the gentleman, and I said to him, tell me, when does it fall out of escrow, or can they get out of escrow? He said, well, they have 17 days. I said, call me day 18. I'm buying the house. And he said, these people really want to buy this house. And I said, yeah, I know. But 
I said, I've got to tell you, when Spirit tags your house and says it's yours, it's yours. And I ended up buying the house. And uh, <laughs> I love this story so much. And, and um, you know, it's really interesting. It was on my bucket list my whole life to buy a house to do up. And I've knocked out walls. I've built walls. I've turned my body back 20 years just physically. And, and I wrote my book here. But... Um, the incredible thing is that my house I just had revalued and if you knew the figure that it went up, it's tripled in price since I bought it. Well, of tripled. course. Of course. And it's still like this amazing haven of um, just this wonderful kind of, you know, um, palace. It's my palace, you know. It's not... And, and I love it. And... Uh, you're living with the animals, and I have beers, and I have, you know, deer and animals and, jacu- you know, I mean, raccoons, and, you know, you have them all. And and the moles, and the moles ate 29 rose bushes in two weeks. I know they, they just took over last summer, and I didn't realize that they were attacking them as fast as what they were. And, you know, my neighbor said, you know, you can catch them and kill them. And I said, no, 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 you outsmart them. You never kill an animal. <laughs> so I said, um, I see the underground. That's my joke, you know. So I'm very attached to the underground. And um, so, so let me really let me ask you, Tricia, how, how far along are you on writing your screenplay for this book? You know, look. I wrote the screenplay many years ago. That was my first screenplay I ever wrote. I wrote, but I fabricated it because I never knew any sort of story ideas or anything else. The screenplay that I'm writing now is about how the soul re- reproduces these same kind of relationships. And what's really, you know, this is really funny. You'll love this because, you know, in my book and I was talking about how I was flying over the timeline and the whole airplane is singing Old Lang Syne. And um, I said it was really funny. You know, we're drinking champagne and the whole plane is singing. And then I land in Hawaii and have another New Year's Eve because of the time difference. And um, in the song that Don Henley wrote about um, that old flame, there is a line in it with a little bit of kindness just for old Lang Syne's sake. And I thought, wow, that's really weird. He's used that term that I use. You know, when that's that twin flame kind of synchronization kind of thing. And it, recently a friend of mine wrote a blog, and um, he's a very kind of quite a famous channel person. His name's gone for me right now, but he's been around for a very long, long, long time. And he, in his blog, he mentioned Old Lang Syne, the song, and where the song came from. You would not believe it, Lavender. You'll love this. He he channels, is it Thor or Theo or somebody that's, you know, um, kind of a divine energy, who explained that as Atlantis was sing, sinking, all of the high priests, were in the water as it sunk, singing that song. And oh that goodness. was the birth Yeah. Wow. Isn't that amazing? It is. So, so let me ask yeah. you, you were talking about the man that wrote that article where a lot of people have read it. What is that link? Can, can, can you give it to our audience so they can go look it up? 
yes, it's called Grub Street. It's called what? It's called Grub Grub Street. Um, he's he's on my. I think that's how you spell it. Let me just find because he's. I've um, got my email. I'm just flicking right quick right here. Um, would to, really love to see it, and I think maybe a lot of our audience would like to look that up. And you know what I'll do is I'll also send you the link, and then you can maybe put it on your pay on the show page. Okay. Um, there, there is the link now on the on the page. There's one of the images. So if you go to one of the images, you'll see the little picture of me in the writing. And okay. on the corner of the show page, um, right in the very corner is the name of the um, the site. But um, I get so many emails, I might have to flip for a second. But I'll find that in a second for you just to make sure. Well, at this uh, time, I'm noticing what time it is. I would like to pass you over to Arielle, my co-host. And she has yes. a switchboard, and maybe some people would like to call in and talk to you, especially about synchronization. If anyone's out there that wants to um, relate any story or anything about synchronization to Tricia, please, please dial in. So, Arielle, are you there? I sure am. Okay. So, Trish, we'll talk later. And I'm so proud yes. of you, girl. Uh, this, this book uh-huh. just had me riveted, and I can't wait to see the movie. So, any time yes. that you have something that you want to come on our show and and tell our audience about you're always welcome. Okay? Oh, yeah. It's all about encouraging them just to stay in that stream. Because I tell you, when it when you're not in the stream, boy, things just don't have that magical moment. And I, honestly, um, I'll let you go, Lavender. But the one thing is that these things are happening really fast. I mean, they're constantly aligning. And and one of the things that I noticed for myself, because I live alone in a mountain kind of area, I'm not socializing a lot, that um, I get the times all the time, you know, like, like the 11-11s, the 4-4s, the 2-2s. And, and I noticed that if it's something like today, I saw it was the 31st, and then I start to see things like 313 or 113, or um, 331, you know, like like there'll always be those same numbers but in different combinations. Right. And so when I see, oh, those are my sync-ups. Or I'll think, oh, I really need a little fuse thing to buy, you know, for welding. And, and I'll open up Facebook and one of the local sales, there's, there it is. Like, oh, that was what I was thinking of yesterday. Right. And I buy it. So they still align. They just don't have to always be in grandeur. So that was Absolutely. what I was going to say. So, yeah. so yeah. Uh, Arielle, take it away. Yes. Okay. Well, hi. Um, I, hi there. I, I think uh, I was just, while you were talking, um, Grub Street is the name of the publication. Yes. Is that is that Grub Street? And it's G R U B, like food. Grubstreet.com. And, and um, his name, Dr. George Pollard, P-O-L-L-A-R-D. He's actually the associate professor of the Department of Sociology and Anthropology, which was another weird thing when he sent me this thing that he's this professor. That's what my daughter studied in university, um, sociology and anthropology. So. Huh. It was kind of like, oh, <laughs> I'd never. When she told me she wanted to study that, and I said, well, I've never heard of that one, but now I have. Well, well, um, 
that is that's the uh, the website where the article that I have um, captioned on the uh, the slideshow. So if if people want to go look at that, just just go to Grub Street and look for um, Dr. Pollard, and he's the one that wrote the article. And and your so Patricia Kelly, believe it or not, I think I'm in their search um, box. Okay, yeah, put Tricia Kelly in the search box. That'll work too. So um, if anyone has a, a comment or question for Tricia, um, we only have a few minutes left, so if you're already on the switchboard um, listening, all you have to do is press 1 on your keypad so we know you want to come on the air. If you're listening on the computer, then you'll need to dial in 917 889-8292, and then once you're in, press 1. So um, while we're waiting uh, to uh, see if we have any callers, um, I just want to tell you that I so love the message that is really behind this book about following your passion, following your bliss, um, staying in a state of gratitude, um, following your heart, because it just and that's when those synchronicities happen, and I so agree with you that when you start getting into you know when you slide off frequency and maybe you start feeling a little depressed or a little victimized, like you say, or um you know look what life did to me that it's so easy to shift it's as easy as changing your mind, you know to get yeah. back into that flow. But you have to change your mind, and you have to do it deliberately and just say, you know, I'm not going to feel like this. I'm going to concentrate on all the blessings that I've got and everything I have to be grateful for because, I, I mean, I tell people this all the time because in in America there's so much that we take for granted that the rest of the world would – that's why they think that you know, all Americans are millionaires because really when you – you kind of start looking back and forth, we have so much. And people just don't use that, you know, use that for a springboard for in manifestation and think, yeah, you know, I've got a car. Not everybody in the world can say that. So I just love the synchronicity. And, um, I mean, then it seems to be, in your case, compounded that, you know, they're, they're I, just you know, huge. The, the other thing is, too, Eric, is that I think sometimes is that we're given these experiences and maybe my life path was to have this. That's what I even say some, at the end of the book. Maybe the reason I was supposed to have met Don Hanley to have these huge, exaggerated events so that I could actually share them because you you kind of can get through to people sometimes when you have the bigger events that you can talk about. And it's not ever being better than anybody or, um, you know, I'm better or you're better or, or somebody. It, it has nothing to do with that at all. It's just staying in that vibrational energy. And the one thing that I did when I started to really learn about this and the law of attraction and, and manifestation and, and, under, and then I could understand, well, I was really high back then in life. I mean, you can't be any higher than flying across the world and seeing somebody or a new country or a new adventure. I mean, that's as big as it kind of gets and excitement and some things. And um, so I realized that that was my vibration. And so when I go back to that other place, 
and I would go into that little bit of that thing or even think those thoughts. I would just do the, what I call my own ha-ha dance. Oh, I'm doing that thing again. I'm doing that thing again. And I would do it in that, like that. So I wasn't bashing myself up. Oh, my God, I'm doing that thing again. I'm all negative. I'm, because you're actually giving more attention to the negativity to create more of the negativity because you're bashing yourself up about the negativity. So that's why I played with it with my little dance. So I'm doing that thing again. And it would just snap me, you know, because I did it in my own humor. So that was just a little trick for your friends on, on listening. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's great. Well, yeah, when you you take yourself too seriously, um, you know, if you start disapproving of yourself, that's just a that's a crash and burn. Um, you know, you yeah. have to love yourself and... and um, and see things in perspective, which, um, and certainly, I mean, I mean, you were just, a, a, um, you know, a kid, and and that must have been overwhelming. Like you said, it was um, way before you were really spiritually awake, but you still had that inner knowing, um, that irresistible um, desire to follow that passion, and you know, people you know, can be passionate about anything. If somebody stares at you across a room and smiles, you can tell that it's either a fake grin or it comes from your heart. You just feel it. And honestly, if you were to turn around and go, oh, what are you looking at, Gook? You know, and you walk mm-hmm. away, you may have missed that opportunity that, you know, I kind of call it like God's radar. It's just beaming at you. That if you don't take that opportunity, it doesn't mean you have to run home with them or or put yourself out or anything like that, but you do have to follow up on those inklings that make you just do things. And I think I've always been a very spontaneous person. I walk around the supermarket making jokes with everybody. Everybody. I stand next to someone buying a can of soup and I'll be talking about something. You know, like, I don't seem to ignore people. And I think what happens to a lot of people, and you're, you're, you're into horses, you know this, you put a blinker on a horse, they can't see anything but the lane ahead. And, and the miracles sometimes are in the lane next to where you're running, you know. Right. And how I explain this very simply to my daughter one day, and this is for parents to understand about teaching your kids about spreading your energy out there to attract things. I had my lights on dim going down a freeway and there was no traffic almost, you know, seven lanes. And then I said, honey, you can go through life and only see this one lane. And then I flicked them on bright and you could see the whole seven lanes. Or you can go through life like this. That's the difference. So there are these little simple things that, um, that we do and we teach, you know. So that's a lot of my parenting book, little hints like that as well that I talk, and I maybe should have to upgrade it a little bit, too. Well, you know, I, I took I took a look at that, um, um, and, I, you know, sometimes a line just jumps out at you that is so relevant, and um, help me if I'm not quoting you cro- uh, properly from your New Energy Parenting book, um, Kids Out of Control Equals over controlling parents? Yes. Could you elaborate um, on that? Well, an over an overly controlled parenting style leads to an out of control kid. And the reason that children act out 
out of control at like 13 and they get like, you know, I'm going to be a punk rock look or I'm going to, you know, do this. Or, or the act of sex is out of control. You can't have sex and be in control. So that's a state that they, they gravitate to as well. And also drugs. Drugs are, oh, yeah, I'm really high. I'm out of control. So when what you have to switch back to is as you raise your children from a little age, and I did it with mine because I knew all of this before I had my kids, so I was lucky, um, is you give the child as it's growing up control all the time. I mean, so not not overly, you, you know, you, you share the control, but... So what do you want to eat? Well, you know, Mum, I hate broccoli. And I said, well, that's not a problem, darling. You don't even have to eat broccoli again, but you have to eat rainbows. So next time we're at the market, why don't you choose what you want to eat that's green? And we'll go from there. You see, so you gave it control. And if you, like a, um, a parent will walk up to the side of the street and yank its kid across the street and they wonder why they don't learn about traffic. But if you walked up to the street with a two- or three-year-old and you said, you know, can you find the cars that are coming for mummy? Can you see any big cars coming? Can you see the big red one coming? You know, like that kind of energy. Mm-hmm. And then you're giving the child control of your life, you see. So these are the little steps of what I call giving the kid a lot of control growing up. They don't act out of control because they already know their control. And mm-hmm. so, and and the parent gets overly controlled with no, don't do that, put that away. You know, now it's like, it. You know, they go to school, they're overly controlled. Don't stand there, don't touch him, eat here, don't eat here. Do your homework, come home, put that away. It's video, it's bath, go to bed. It's constantly in that state of control, and and we're so wound up that we're not giving the kids enough control. And if you, any parent will know this, you try and spoon feed a baby food at a young age, it doesn't matter whether you play plane, train, whatever, if it does not want that food in its mouth, you cannot get it in there, period. And they'll spit it out. (laughs) Because they're in control. Now, when they start doing that at two or three or four, then they're in the naughty chair and then they're being, you know, told off instead of using the slip, well, that's okay, honey, you don't have to eat broccoli. You know, just because Dr. Oz says that you're never going to die of cancer eating broccoli doesn't mean anything, really. If you hate broccoli, you're digesting the energy of hate and not the energy of the food anyway. So it's not going to have any value to you. So you you kind of keep flipping that around, and it's really easy, like on the weekends, you know, what do you want to wear today and let them wear it? But you don't let them get dressed and then you turn around and go back and redress them. You know, or right. would you like to make your own bed? You don't ever go back in and remake the bed that they made in a shitty way that you may not like because you're taking over their control again. And parents do it all the time. Mum, can I help you? No, 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 I have everything under control. It's all under control. You know, those kind of terminologies come out all the time instead of saying, oh, fantastic. Yeah, would you look after that for me? Now I can go and have my wine. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. But um, yeah. so, you, you, see, you see, so that's why I use that term. Um, you know, the the out of control kid will end up being from the overly controlled parent, and because we come to the planet to share the planet, and just because I learned this from Dr. Peebles, a wonderful teacher. 
he said to me when I was pregnant, we had a reading, he's a channeler and we had this reading, he said, just because you come to the planet before the child doesn't mean the child's life is less of value than you. And it really rung through to me. Just because they don't know algebra doesn't mean that they're not smart. They just haven't learned it yet, you know. And just because they can't formulate a lot of that doesn't mean that they don't need, um, you know, some sort of freedom of control. And, you know, and I think if parents actually loosened up a little bit more like that to realize that you share the space. And, And the other thing, Ariel, to be honest, a lot of parents do not manifest. They they get into the mode of the elderly controlled energy, and they do not have synchronizations in their life, and they do not have alignment with jobs and manifesting and money and dreams, because they're constantly in that space of the domination of another human being to the point that they um, they put themselves down. And I, I mean, I see it, I, I'm in a group and I'm not even allowed to make a comment on this group, this lady that runs the group for some stupid reason. But anyway, she has her little friend, she's always asking them about, tell me about your problems. And I'm going, oh, please don't ask people problems. Because now they're out of alignment. They never had a problem until you asked them to tell them about your problem today, you see. So, and then now she's trying to answer their problem and now she's out of alignment because she's triggered that problem. And then other people jump on the, you know, the Facebook and they start saying, yeah, well, my kid's this too and my kid does this too. And then they're all putting down their children publicly in this huge arena. And the 10 plus becomes the 100 plus becomes the 1,000 plus becomes, you see how energy works? And oh, Absolutely. So they're all telling their stories of their horrible children. But they don't realize that they were part of the creation of the child anyway. So if you're going to say, yeah, my kid is this or that, well, you know, you've got to remember it came through you as much as it came from you. So, um, And they don't get it. It's almost like there's a lot of that spiritual business that goes there. Tell me your problems and I can fix it for a fee <laughs> sort of it it yeah. has that overtone and um so i you know i ha- i have to leave places like that and groups and it really saddens me because i can't help them and um but you know that's their journey but i do say that to different parents you know that i know privately and things like that and i really do switch people around because they're not aware of it. That's all it is. It's like what I was saying about that book. My book is just to make people aware of how wonderful this magical life can be. Um, and it's the same with parenting. I try and do that because every time you're in that mode of overly controlled, nothing will happen in your, in your life. I, I just never see it. I never hear good stories come out of them. And I hear that, you know, that fumbling kind of energy that, mm-hmm. because they haven't got it. And um, and I think once you get your own switch and you can switch it on, and you've got to have the aha moment. You can't teach somebody how to have, have the aha moment, you know. Mm-hmm. That once any drop of how it works in the big cosmic picture, it it then becomes, oh, I get it now. 
Well, I get what Trisha was been trying to tell me. And I turned a girl around next door who went through that as well. And um, it's amazing. She, she quite often says to me, oh, my God, you really tune into it. And I said, well, it's easy because I love you and I can observe you. Um, but you never reject anything that I say. You always go, wow. And I think one of the things in spirituality, too, is absorbing that, we all absorb at our own rate and you can't just suddenly get, you know, fill up the sponge that it's so full that it's starting to run out because it hasn't had time for you on a cellular level to really absorb. And mm-hmm. and I think that aha moment that, you know, a lot of people in this industry talk about or, you know, you get to that, that one little thing that, it, that penny drops. And I think that's magical because that's, and um, I know a lot of little people that I will talk to about little, you know, and I have a lot of employees that come on my building and I'll talk to them about different things and they have no idea because they've never heard of it. They, they, they're just becoming exposed. That's why I was talking about the media and films, that if you start putting out films to a larger audience, um, then you start to trigger more people. So I, I that's what I want to focus on. Well, that's great. And please let us know, um, you know, when you have any uh, any new book or the uh, the movie, anything, let us know, and we'll um, we'd love to have your um, have you announce it to our audience. So, well, we are out of time, and I want to thank you so much for sharing your amazing story with the um, really strong message, uh, follow your passion and trust the divine. You know, that's always at work in your life. You just have to open to it. And it's a pretty easy book to find, too. If um, if you're on Amazon and you just put her love story, and there's another one that's just come out. I don't know what it is, but it's under the same name. But there's actually only two. Mine was the first. And... um, You'll see Trisha Kelly next to it. So you don't have to worry about typing in synchronicity, spirituality, Mr. Henry. It'll just come up with her love story. So that makes it easy if anybody wants to have a look. Because there's a lot in there as well. There's a lot about my psychic healing experiences, and there's a lot about death and about messages that I was receiving and my own sister passing over and having that premonition of crying for like, you know, eight hours the day before when I said goodbye to her, I just felt that I was never going to see her again. I didn't know that, but I felt that. And my mother said, why are you crying? And I said, I don't know. There's just something about saying goodbye to my little sister who was 32. And um, she died in a car accident the next day. And what I reflected on that later, just quickly, because I know we're finishing the show, um, Ariel, was that, I happened to be in the right place at the right time to be there for her three little children that were motherless and for my mother that was hurt because I was there and I was flying out six hours later to Los Angeles and I couldn't leave um, because she had an accident rushing to see me off at the airport. Um, But I was there. So when I, instead of the misery of the event, I turned it into how amazingly um, wonderful it was that I was there to be their support system. So it was the right time at the right place for her passing. And, you know, we're all predestined to drive into those portals if they 
we're in that wrong space, the portal will take us. And that was pretty much her emotional state at that time. So um, there's always that silver lining in it, and sometimes you don't quite see it at that moment. And later we can reflect on it, you know, that, well, that was the best part of that experience was that I was there at the right time at the right place to be able to stay for a few months and take care of people. And um, But thank you so much for the show, and I love you guys. And how many years have you been on the air now? Our first broadcast was in March of 2010, so we are coming up on our seventh anniversary, and uh, the website is a year older than the radio show. So, um, yeah, it doesn't seem like that long, but yeah, time flies when you're having fun. And we are just about out of time, so I do want to thank you so much for sharing your story with us. Your website is trishakelly.net, and Trisha is spelled T-R-I-C-I-A, Kelly, K-E-L-L-Y, trishakelly.net. And uh, check out the uh, the Grub Street article um, with 54 million hits. Um, I'm oh, going to be... you know, Ariel, I just want to tell you, he didn't link my website. He doesn't link websites. It was kind of a really weird. But he did link a YouTube at the very bottom of the YouTube, and you would never guess whose web, who's YouTube it is. It's one that I made of me talking to Lavender about the two Earths. And <laughs> that got over, I, well, actually, YouTube thought that it was like a, um, a freak. So they, they actually took it off. Um, 25,000 hits off it but it actually got up to 60,000 hits when the article was being read by a lot of people so a lot of people found out about Lavender as well <laughs> I just oh, want to boy. share that well yeah. great that's, so, that's a cool stuff they look and they go to the very bottom to the link they can click on that and hear about me talking about the two earths of Lavender so yeah that was kind wow. of exciting <laughs> yeah <laughs> more synchronicity so um, yeah, yeah. Thank, thank you, thank you, thank you yeah. so much for, for being with us this evening. And um, to our listeners, we'll be back next week. And we thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, we want to thank our uh, switchboard producers, uh, Vanya and Jada, this evening. And Tricia, thank you so much. Stay in touch. Let us know what's new with you. And uh, to everyone that's listening, remember to count your blessings every day. And, and with Ariel, that, we're seeing, email, yes. email me your address, and I'd love to send you a book, too. Oh, thank you. And I will do that. Okay, fantastic. Okay, great. So good night, everyone. See you next week. Bye-bye. Good night. been listening to Starseed Radio Academy. Visit our website at www.starseedhotline.com. 